Okay, good morning to all who are here. This is the uh, this is the Institutional Agriculture Farmers Panel, and uh, we're waiting on one of our panelists, but we're going to get started anyway because I have a mini presentation. We've got about an hour. This goes for how long again? Until So we have an hour, um, about fifty-five minutes left, and we've got a panel of, panel of discussion or a a, a panel to discuss some important questions about institutional agriculture and farming. But before we get into that, I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then I'll try to put my slides up and we'll go through a little presentation and it'll be a little Adventist history lest we forget how we've been done in the past. So if you could all bow your heads with me before we begin, uh, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity that we have to study a little bit of how we can carry out your work on this planet in these last days. We pray that you give us wisdom. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can be here with us, enlighten us, and give us the words that you should speak today so that we can make better choices for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's see if we can get the slides up here. Um, that's not the first slide. Let's we go back to the very, very beginning. Okay. So next slide. Uh, I want to do a little Bible study before we um, before we break into this. And so let's, if we have any, if anybody has Bibles, then I'd love if we could open those up to Second Kings chapter six. And in Second Kings chapter six, you'll remember we have a story of a school, and it doesn't necessarily evoke farming right off the bat, but it has some important principles I want to go into. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, we see um, we see an interesting scene here. Let's read it in verse 1 together. You're following along. And the sons of the prophets, who are these then? Are these young people or old people? They're young people, and uh, they're, they're sons of the prophets. So are they in the church or out of the church? They're in the church. They're Christian youth. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. So there's Christian youth, there's a prophet, and there's insufficient space for what's happening. So they're growing, right? And then we see verse 2. It says, Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. So in verse 2, then we see these, this group of students, they're respectful youth. They're saying, please, let us go. They're asking permission. They're practical. They're industrious. And they're mission-minded youth. Um, in verse 3, we see, then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. That's verse four. So we see an invitation for the prophet to join them. We see a teacher working alongside the students. And then in verse five, but as one was um, cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So we see here an interesting scene that really parallels some of the, the schools of the prophets that are also to be in our day. Let's advance. 
Here's an amputation that um, makes the connection very clear. The youth are to be encouraged to attend our schools, which should become more and more like the schools of the prophets. Our schools have been established by the Lord. That's from the Fundamentals of Education, page 489, paragraph number one. Next. Here's from Health Food Ministry, 39.1. I have been shown that study and agricultural alliance should be the A, B, and C of the educational work of our school. Now, it's not just for our schools either. It's also for um, our other institutions. We have health centers as well. And this vision was also given to Ellen White and has been found in Council on Health, page 171. In the night season, I was given a view of a sanitarium in the country. The institution was not large, but it was complete. It was surrounded by beautiful trees and shrubs, beyond which were orchards and groves. Connected with the place were gardens in which the lady patients, when they chose, would cultivate flowers of every description, each patient selecting a special plot for which she cared. Outdoor exercise in these gardens was prescribed as a part of the regular treatment. Now, I want to make a bit of a parallel so that you guys might be able to see, and maybe, maybe it'll become more clear to you because. This is a project that's near and dear to my heart, and that is education for the purpose of mission. Now, a brief introduction of myself, and we will introduce each of the panelists as well. They'll introduce themselves. Um, uh, but my name is Nathan, Nathan Jensen, and I'm a student, a third-year theology student at Weimar University. And um, I've been working on the farm there with Darren Greenfield for over two years now. And I've been tremendously blessed by it. But in the course of working there and studying there, I fell across this book, came across this book called Madison God's Beautiful Farm. Who here's heard of the book Madison God's Who here has read it in its entirety? Okay. And uh, it's an enjoyable book. I really do uh, think so. And it's inspiring more than that. But we see in 2 Kings chapter 6 Christian youth, a prophet, and insufficient space. In the Madison history, for those of you who may know it, a brief recap, uh, there were two individuals leading this institution um, in its infancy, and those people were Edward Sutherland and Percy McGann. Now, when Madison School first started in 1904, it started with these two leaders who had been presidents of other institutions beforehand, namely Walla Walla, Battle Creek, and Emanuel Missionary College. Um, but when they came down in 1904 to Tennessee, they came with just 11 students. Actually, they established it and they had no students. But when it first opened, there were just 11 students. Um, and it actually began because there were, there were so many students in other schools, there wasn't sufficient space. So we see a parallel. There's Christian youth, there's a prophet, and Ellen White was with uh, Sutherland and began on that river when they found the institution, when they found the land, the Ferguson Bond. So can you see can you see the parallel for the first step? Is that mm -hmm. making sense to anyone? You can you can shake your head if it doesn't make sense. I'll try to explain it again, but otherwise I see some nods. And then in verse two, okay, we have respectful youth, practical and industrious, and the desire to go. Now here's a fact about Madison. Within two years, that's by 1906, students began to start other institutions. Now, originally have you seen that happening recently? I haven't seen that happening, and I would like to see it happen, and I have fellow students that would like to be able to do that, but we ask ourselves, 
Well, I'll tell you a little history. And I don't want to take all the time because this is a panel discussion. So forgive me as I get excited about something here. But I recently went down to a um, to a missionary training school. They take about 10 to 20, I don't think even more than 16 students, and they're down in Bolivia, which is in South America. This institution is called Instituto Quebrada-Leon, IQL for short. And they train people using a number of different methods, including medical missionary work, hydrotherapy, teaching people how to put on evangelistic series, co-working programs, co-working programs, and also agriculture. They were doing farm plots um, for each of the students, and they would get an opportunity to be exposed to it and learn which crops grew in that area. And they're still doing agriculture if I visited just this last month. Well, the students that go from there, they don't necessarily go and start what might be called traditional schools, but they'll start what's called centers of influence. Have you guys heard of centers of influence? Okay, so some of you have heard of the centers of influence. Centers of influence are locations in the middle of various towns and uh, villages where um, missionaries can go kind of establish influence there using agriculture and medical missionary work as the entering wedge. And so they'll, they'll grow a number of things just outside of the house and people will begin to ask questions. So I am seeing a piece of this happening today and it's exciting and I'd love to do um, a full mission report on this sometime. But I believe that this is happening today, but it's um, it's got a different look to it, I guess you might say. Now, an invitation was given in 2 Kings 6, verse 3, for the prophet to join them. This was the prophet Elisha. And Elisha, as you might recall, was a farmer as well. So, more correlations. But uh, the Madison School was the only school board upon which Ellen White actually sat. Now, she did work at the Avondale School in the 1890s, but at Madison, Ellen White actually agreed to sit up on the board and help counsel Sutherland and McGann on what they should and should not do to avoid mistakes in the past and see success in the future. Now, in verse 4, you see a teacher that's working alongside the students, cutting down trees, and um, certainly doing various other things, helping build the homes, practical, industrious labor to help people live a simple, practical life and advance the mission. Well, in the Madison School, it was a similar story as teachers were also found working alongside the students, according to the paper. In verse 5, you see that there wasn't extravagance as they were using borrowed tools. They weren't by any means um, living a high life. And they recognized that we need to find help because that axe head that fell through the water and sunk, they recognized they couldn't find that, but they needed it back. And Elisha, um, by the power of God, works a miracle, and a, and the accident comes back to the surface. Now, Madison also would not have been established had it not been for the miraculous power of God. And if you guys want to see the, more of the Madison story, there are some other presentations that have been done by um, other people like past Anagras. Uh, one of them was that I haven't watched personally with Bob Jorgensen's uh, presentations done. I don't know exactly which year I was watching them, but he has some excellent ones on the history of agriculture and education that I would recommend you want to go and watch. But uh, this quotation was seen um, later 
after Madison had begun, before 1915, um, the white passed away, and she said this about the Madison In the work being done at the training school for home and foreign missionary teachers in Madison, Tennessee, and in the small schools established by the teachers who had gone forth in Madison, we have an illustration of one way in which the message should be carried in many, many places. Now, within two years, as we said, of Madison's beginning, students were being sent out to find suitable locations to start schools after the missionary, after the Madison order. Now, from the years 1904, when it began, to 1940, that's 36 years, 47, quote, medical and educational enterprises after the Madison order had been established. That's more than one per year. Is that not exciting? The mission was going forward, and this wasn't just domestic as well. The majority of them were in South Bend around Tennessee, but the uh, other ones had been established internationally in places like Cuba, Puerto Rico, and um, who knows what other places. I don't have a list memorized in my head as much as I wish I was intelligent enough to do that. But they were really multiplying. Um, and you can see also there was multiplication happening in second things with the school of the prophets. So this was endorsed by Ellen White, and I believe that the same thing can happen today. But this leads me to uh, next slide, which is um, also another school that this happened. I thought the next slide was questions, but it's okay. We'll read one last quote, and then we'll get into it. Um, this was at the Avondale School, and this is some of the side effects that, or not side effects, I'm not saying, some of the results of agriculture being implemented in our schools alongside other things um, as well. Every term of school, which we have held at Avondale, has resulted in the conversion of nearly every student in the school. In some terms, this has been the case without exception, and in others, there have not been more than two or three exceptions. Businessmen have brought their children from Newcastle to our school in Avondale so that they would not be tempted as they would in public schools, which they declared were corrupted. Our schools should be located away from the cities, on a large tract of land, so that the students will have opportunity to do manual work. They should have opportunity to learn lessons from the objects which Christ used in the implication of truth. He pointed to the birds, to the flowers, to the sower, and the river. That was released in the General Conference Bulletin in 1901, just after she came back from the Avenue School in Australia. And so this was illustrating the value of nature study. And uh, as we did this morning, God's uh, advice to us um, in the life of Christ was that his life of power was from communication with nature and with God. And that same thing is to be applied in our school to be considered the same that. So uh, let's move one more. The question is, can this be done again today? So I have three questions. And... Um, those three questions are, um, and the answer, of course, to can this be done again today? Luke 137, God, nothing should be possible. So then the discussion questions are these. <clears throat> Why is agriculture a difficult aspect of institutional work to implement? How can these difficulties be overcome and the plans of God be followed? And what is the result of incorporating agriculture as the A, B, and C? So before we get into those questions, and we'll just discuss one at a time, we've got about 10, maybe 12 minutes to discuss each question. Let's just introduce our panelists. We'll start with Amian, he's here with us digitally, and we can maybe keep that up on half of the screen. 
and Indian on the other half, so everyone can see it. But uh, Indian, if you'd like to introduce yourself, and then we'll continue with Abner and then on down the line. Just let us know um, who you are, your name, the institution that you have worked at or are working at, and how long you worked there, and then maybe something else you'd like to share just about yourself. So that's again your name, uh, how long the institution you've been working at or um, worked at in the past, and then how long you. Hi everyone, my name is Emian, uh, Emian Wolf, and uh, married uh, to Kimberly and have four beautiful children. That's my primary calling. And uh, we have a farm up here in Canada, and uh, I've worked with uh, Fountain View Academy for a few years, uh, helping them particularly with their farm, uh, their farm program, as well as their vocational training program. Um. My name is Adner Abreu, and uh, I'm right here as I'm currently the farm manager at Eden Valley. And how long have you been working and there? I've been working there for the past eight months. And my name is Darren Greenfield, and I'm working at the Greenland Institute, and I've been working for the East and the Farming My name is Chad Cruiser, and uh, we we have a ministry called Anchor Point Films, and we have, we also have a YouTube channel called Health and Homestead, and we have in the past spent time at the Black Hills Health and Education Center. We spent time at Weimar, um, not farming either one, but just have spent time at institutional and I'm Lisa, and I am So thank you for the introductions and for the service that we've uh, been seeing at those various places. Now, as you guys know, I work with Darren Greenfield at Remar, and I've been delighted to be working from there. But we've definitely encountered some challenges. So I'd like to open the floor to those who want to answer the first question and just get the discussion started with why is agriculture a difficult aspect of institutional work to implement, whether it's in the school setting or in a sanitarium setting or both, if the institution is trying to do both or one of them, it's just trying to do one of them. So why, can you put a finger on some of the difficulties that are encountered because that would give us a foundation upon which to say, how can these difficulties be overcome? So that's the first question we'd like to take it right. And I, I think one of the aspects right along with that, that, I think that is the foundational issue that Darren just stated. And in addition to that, agriculture is one of the few things on a school or institutional campus that is, that is believed that could make an income. And so, especially in the beginnings, as something is implemented, it could be very hard to make a return on investment, especially at the beginning of any kind of business venture. Uh, money goes out and it doesn't come in, but this is one of the few things in the school or, or you know, health center's perspective that this is hope to gain money, whereas schools in general are 
they just bleed money anyway. I mean, that's like what schools do. They just money goes out from schools and then they're hoping this will make some money. And when it doesn't, people are troubled by the fact that it isn't making any money. And hopefully sometime it can be feasible, break even and then even surpass even and make money. But often I think they're hoping for something that's very difficult to establish within one year's time period. I think along with um, the expectations that they may have out of agriculture, they're also, we're, we're also fighting against um, the history that some of them have had with agriculture and how that didn't actually pan out really well. And so they've been there, they've tried that and they, you know, they don't see it being a viable option because all they see is the way that it was done in the past. And I mean, there's a whole new way of doing agriculture now that um, makes it very feasible and very possible. And then the other thing I would say makes it difficult is a lack of educated farmers <laughs> to run the programs. I think too that it goes along the along the thoughts that you shared um, about. I think that when we starting a livestock center, for example. We look for trained um, therapists, trained doctors. Uh, we look for a crew. Uh, but when it comes um, to farming, then uh, we accept, and you know, ministries accept anyone that can that wants to deal with dirt. You know, that if you have knowledge of planting a the lettuce, then it's like, oh, you're a farmer. You know, so come and join us. Yet. The, so the knowledge is just simply not there to make it uh, the farm to flourish. Um, so, so I think that that's one of the main reasons that farm has failed because the the attention and the and the research and the and the human element hasn't been there to actually make the farm um, bloom. And uh, so and and that and that's why my burden for the agricultural training program that we're starting at Eden Valley is to see how campus sold. Interesting, so so far we've got lack of shared vision as some of the difficult aspects of institutional work. Um, it's not, so, sometimes agriculture doesn't um, make money, especially in a school setting where already um, money is a difficult and a short thing uh, to come by since education is expensive inherently. Um, and Vicky shared that um, the history of agriculture in certain schools is somewhat bleak, and often maybe administration says, yeah, it hasn't been so successful for us in the past, so we're a little bit hesitant and afraid of doing it again. And I, I wouldn't say that that's irrelevant at all, because I've definitely seen that happen. So and Adner just shared about um, looking for qualified individuals as well. Now, Chad has one thing to add. Go ahead. One more thing that I don't... I don't think we always realize how much we've been affected by society and maybe things like uh, liberal arts education, which in part was setting, seeking to liberate people from working with their hands, you know, that we could just work with our brains. And so I'm guessing a part of it is something that we can't quantify exactly, but being the fact that we live in a society that is not as interested, we would rather do something on a computer than get our hands dirty. And this is this is a form of labor that is really generally hands-on, unless you're doing like you know GPS guided tractors or something like that. Um, 
And so it might be the stigma of a former generation of my parents' generation. My parents are not Adventists, but had a negative view of farming, whereas the younger generation has a is getting to have much more of a positive view, kind of a freedom and something to look at with, you know, almost envying these, you know, organic farmers. And so I wonder how much the older generation, and this isn't here to be pejorative to anybody that's in the older generation, because obviously if you're here, you like agriculture. So this is not uh, pointing out anybody here, but it's just more of a stigma of former generations that education is important in books and things like agriculture are for, you know, uh, a lower people somewhere on earth. And so I wonder if it's also just a stigma over time. Um, that's a good point. That I think that, you know, when you look at, you know, Hollywood has done um, a very good job in telling people that agriculture is not the thing to do. You know, if, if you have seen any movies, like the dumber guy is the plumber. And so, so you have all these things, you have society, and we automatically get influenced by society even without us wanting to. And I think that the idea and the theory and, and how it's supposed to look sounds so beautiful. And we think that we believe in that, but actually making it happen, sometimes we're like, no, and then we just comes with some, some excuses. But I think that um, we have been influenced and as, as as um, was mentioned, that has been, I think, a, 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 big, a big problem uh, that farmers are looked down and, and it's just not something that um, people want to do. So. I might also throw something into the mix, not as a, and then we'll go to Emia next. Um, I think that the, the, the note that was set on society as well might have something to play because um, in institutional work, it's not an individual um, effort. It's not it's not something that's conducive to an individualistic society so much because there's so much emphasis on team that has to happen. You can't have an institution with just one person running it, really. You have to have, an institution has to have cohesive, it has to have a shared vision. And even in the student's mindset, it kind of, um, as a student myself, you want to be able to be independent in the future which is a noble aim, but at the same time to do certain things successfully, especially in an institute and to do farming as well, there has to be a, a shared vision and a team um, effort. So that may be also another complicating factor. I'm not sure what you guys think about that, but I thought I would throw that in the mix as well. One more thing right along with that is that often the the time that it takes to do agriculture, the reason why it's it's a bit difficult is because you have to take time to do it. And so as people are given, I don't know, an hour, maybe a day or a two hours a day, uh, you have to first maybe teach them something about how to do what they're going to do. And then they have to do it. And there's a little time. And so it's not as practical as if someone were given a stretch of time over the course of a day, like you did half the day on the farm and half the day in class, kind of like what I think we were told to do. And nobody, almost nobody would be willing to do such a thing because the books are seemingly the most important thing, which I would disagree with, but that's that's the perspective. And so I think part of it is not being able to get people to do it long enough. And so it's hard for a farmer with kids doing an hour of work a day or something to really get it done. And so then it looks like, well, the farmer is not doing his job, but that's not the way it's meant to be. It's supposed to be a team effort with the Institute to make it successful. Mm -hmm. 
totally agree with that. Let's have Imian talk next. Does he had one thing to add and then uh, Derek. So uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, all good points. By the way, I, I agree with uh, everything that you folks have said so far. Um, we have a lack of skill. We've had board members and uh, administration officials, but uh, donors and others who uh, are a bit disillusioned about the success of agriculture. Uh, we have a lack of knowledge how to make agricultural successful because of society's general trend away from it and the education move of education. Um, it's also economically difficult. Uh, you, you know, food has tended to be a commodity. You know, back in the uh, early 1800s, food might have been 30% of your monthly, uh, you know, 30% of your income would be going to food. Whereas today, uh, you're you're going to be having substantially less uh, of that go to food. So relative to all of other the other expenses, food has become much cheaper, which really just means it's harder to make a living off of food than it was uh, 200 years ago or 300 years ago. So uh, all of those factors um, playing in, but to specifically answer the question, why is agriculture a difficult aspect of institutional work? I'll give you two additional responses. One is that uh, teaching, which requires uh, the uh, investment of time into an individual, the, the goal of teaching uh, is, is juxtaposed against the goal of productivity. Teaching inherently needs to be unproductive in order to help the individual have an opportunity to learn and to make a mistake uh, and to venture a trial. Uh, and then you, you want to spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with the individual, and then you want to get more individuals rotated through that teaching experience. That's our goal uh, as, as teachers, to get as many people to learn as possible. Well, in, in, in successful agriculture, you really want to have one person learn that job and then do that job all day long. Even, even the way we run the schedule, you know, we, we've got, you know, we're trying to do a half a day, but that half a day comes down with lunch and moving between uh, areas of the, the campus and whatnot to much less than half the day. So there's all these time sinks that, that disappears and, and the inefficiencies of, of different people doing the job and so on. So, so education and enterprise are juxtaposed and they compete against each other. I think we can do both, but I do think we need to separate their purposes. Number two, Insula institutions insulate. What I mean by that is something that you were getting at earlier, uh, Nathaniel, which is that uh, in an institution, we work as a team, you were saying. And what that effectively means is that if you are going to be a farmer and you are going to make this your income, your bread, your meal, your, 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 the food on your kid's plate depends on your ability to figure out a thing, it, it, it has a different level of drive. Now, suddenly, staying up longer to figure it out, uh, getting really creative, putting in the extra effort to, to resolve it and so on, uh, it, it's just a whole different motivation. And this isn't to suggest that institutional, uh, our institutions, um, th that anybody is lazy. Everybody generally overworks in all of our institutions. But what this points out is the need to connect um, to, to, to connect somehow the, the, the consequence or the, the impact of success with an individual. So because institutions insulate that, it's, it's difficult to get for an individual to feel a real sense of ownership and, and trying to get that feeling in there, which drives a person to, to dig really hard uh, and then to start feeling a sense of protection over their that, that department that they found an answer for instead of just giving it up if somebody else has a new idea. Uh, trying to generate that sense is difficult in an institution. So figuring out how to connect it would be very helpful.
Okay, I think that Darren has something to add first, and then we can go to Abner if that's all right. Thank you so much for sharing, Indian. One of the major um, obstacles, I think, with the school is the growing season is out of sync with mm. the school calendar. And so, yeah, if that could be resolved, that would be a step in the right direction too. Okay, Abner then, the growing season and then, okay. Um, I think that just to respond to the previous uh, comments is that, um, you know, the the growing for, for profit and the growing and the teaching part of agriculture and academies, both can actually be done at the same time, but they need to be identified. Um, and, and what I mean is that you need to have crops. We need to be innovating. We need to be looking for ways to, to look for, for to, to, to actually do both of them. Because I think with, with farming and in ministries and in general, sometimes we tend just to sit down and do the same thing we've been doing for the last 30 years. And innovation is something that companies and the world are always looking to do better and to understand. And I've been able to work with academy students and be as productive as with trained people because, you know, in the training and, and looking for ways to do, to do well, you can actually be training students and teaching them. And at the same time, that farm being productive, but the two needs to be identified and use strategies to put that in place. Um, and I have seen it done, and I think it's it's very doable because we the I believe that the farms can actually teach their students and at the same time be a farm that produces uh, profit. And it is more than possible because it has been done with Madison, and and I have seen it done as well. Uh, but the right training has to be in place. Um, and, and it goes back to my first comment that, you know, we, when starting livestock centers and other and, and teachers, we look for trained teachers to teach math. You know, we don't put an English teacher to teach a math subject. So I think that that needs to be done in place. And, and if we don't know how to deal with students, then we have to learn how to deal with the students. And, uh, and so I think that that's uh, very, very important as well. One, one thing that I think, and, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but from my reading of, of Spirit of Prophecy, um, you know, when, when she even says, study in agricultural alliance should be the A, B, and C of education given in our schools, this is the very first work that should be entered upon. Our schools should not depend upon imported produce for grains and vegetables and the fruit so essential to health. I think she actually focuses less on a financial benefit to to creating an institution that makes money for the institution, as much as we actually are making this for the food of the institution. And I think we maybe have lost, and, and I'm all for, hey, if we can produce the food for the institution and make money on it, that is a double benefit. But I think the primary focus we've actually lost, and because of that, if I'm thinking this should be a money-making matter, and it's not, well, you know, then, then obviously it's failing in the mind of those who are hoping for that. But if, if in fact we thought our purpose is to grow our own food, so we have the healthiest food that we can have, and, and for the for the character growth of those who grow it, maybe we wouldn't have as much of a problem. But if you can gain a, a livelihood for the institution on top of that, I think you're even better off if you can do both of those things together. And 
Okay, just, one second. One second. Just to just to recap, thank you so much for that. We we have very short time, so we have to try to get to the solutions as well. So there are two more comments here, but we've got. I'm trying to summarize. Maybe I missed one of these. Trying to summarize what uh, we've discussed so far. I've got four primary things that look like here. We've got difficulties, money, synchronization between calendars, ensuring qualified managers and employees, and then a cultural view of agriculture. Does that encompass all of them, or am I missing one? I thought there might have been a fifth one, but um, a shared vision. A shared vision. Okay, I'll add that one. A shared vision. Okay. Adner, and then we need to let's try to start transitioning into ways that some of these five things have been um, solved um, in the past and maybe ideas for how they could be solved in the future if we don't know how they've been solved. So there's two more comments, Adner, and then Jeff. I think that uh, a response to that question, I think I'm 100% agree with what you said. And if the cafeteria is spending $100,000 in food and suddenly it's doing 50 because of the farm, I think that's a gain of profit. Yeah. And that's how we do it. There's actually a line item for um, buying food from the farm in our model, in our budget. And so we'll try to quantify it and see the benefits that way. Um, one thing I was going to add is one of the other problems I've noticed is, um, and I'll just give a, a background reference. Our school has taken the student labor situation off of a, a payroll model and put it onto an educational. So every student has to put in 12 hours of vocational education time every week. And, it, and it's in various areas. It might be in the dorm, it might be in the cafeteria, it might be on the farm, it might be in the maintenance area. There's lots of places. Um, but because they're not getting a, a tangible compensation for their work, there's the tendency for them to say, well, I just, I'm doing slave labor. Um, and so what we need to really make sure we're, we're doing is showing them the value they need. They need to have a real grasp on the value for them um, in, in the future, in their present, et cetera, um, to give them some interest in participating. Mm -hmm. Okay, like it so far. So any other ideas? on um, how these can be overcome. Okay. I just wanted to address the one um, where the growing season is out of sync and put in a plug for AdAgra's new curriculum, um, Acquainting Agriculture. They have designed that curriculum so that um, the students, when they arrive in the fall, they begin right away planning and um, getting ready to do a fall winter garden. And so the kids actually you know, experience every aspect of the gardening and it doesn't have to be over summer break when they're all gone. So that has been a little challenge since COVID because our school changed their schedule so that the kids have a break from before Thanksgiving all the way through January. So there went their winter garden, but in a normal situation, it answers that problem. So I would recommend doing that. Um, in answer to, I think that um, how can these things be solved and to answer as well with a curriculum, I think, and this is the importance of the farm building industry, because if I, I'm, I'm a graduate, as many of you are here, and while we were in college, if the chance of actually working in the farm 
as a, in the pharmacy industry that they that the schools can say yes i can afford to keep the students here working as a as a worker as a staff uh, for the summer then i can be able to pay that staff and i mean that student and that student then can be able to you know work their way through the school and i think that's the model actually that madison had which the industry actually provided for the students to work in those industries and therefore they were able and and it was just a, a circle that that it worked great uh, for them correct me if i'm wrong but at um at Eden valley just to make sure everyone's uh, in tune with what's kind of happening um in terms of selling food within the institution at the lifestyle center there there's a system they have in place that might work other places where they grow the food that is used for the lifestyle center and we sell it to them and sell it to them so it's sold within the institute so that way you avoid certain costs such as shipping and handling of those of those products and it's sold within the institution i'm not sure the other obstacles that might happen there but that seems to simplify things and also get a little closer to the council on raising the provisions for the school like uh chad said you know, since the main benefit of agriculture is for the students and their education and um, so many aspects, um, and we're given so much counsel on it, it seems that if that's really true, then we need to be radical. And to be radical means to be like Caleb and Joshua or be like Southern Dan, who went against the grain, against the, uh, you know, what the status quo was, and they actually changed the way they did things to to make uh, agriculture be the foundation and part of the support of the institution. And, um, you know, that, in my mind, that's the only way we'll get to have the fruits that are promised from having agriculture. Um, we might see glimpses in the way we do it now of little successes here and there, but to have the overall um, conversion of the majority of students and the revival that you know, that comes with that, um, I think that we have to be radical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would also agree with that. I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, where, where Jesus says um, that you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. I think the new wine does need to be put in new wineskins. And sometimes if you, if you can't synchronize one thing with the other, then perhaps something completely different needs to be tried. And schools have tried this. It's not a new thing. There's evangelistic programs that start within other schools that are totally out of sync with everything else. So it's, um, if you look at it that way, it's not necessarily a totally radical idea, but it's totally radical in that it's completely different than the previous. Mm -hmm. So I think it's quite feasible, especially if like every plant, one would start small. And Madison started really small. So that is also a solution. I'm wondering if anyone could also share, I went to his previous class um, on the differentiation between, um, what is it? education and enterprise as part of a solution. He had some interesting solution that I think would be valuable to share with the, the group that's here. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah, I will. And, and let me uh, comment that, um, that you, your first question, what is, uh, why is agriculture a different as difficult aspect of institutional work? This, this tension uh, around budget and how to make it balance out is very real. Uh, all of our all of our institutions, uh, you know, they, they they need funds to operate and survive. And one of the ways to make agricultural successful is by changing the metric by which it's measured. Just like uh, 
many of our panelists have just shared. If we are able to reduce the cost of, uh, of food consumption on the, the, for the institution, that's a complete win. And, and when you're doing that, instead of selling your, your head of lettuce for, for 50 cents uh, to, to a wholesaler or to somebody else, you can sell it for $2 to your own cafeteria because that's what they pay. And then if you add in the shipping on top of that, I mean, you're, you're really able to sell the produce to your own internal organization and keep your net costs for the cafeteria the same. But now you've redirected that money. Instead of sending that money to your, your local food distributor, you send that money right back to yourself. And so this is a way to make it successful. That is also a way to make agriculture successful on a home level is to reduce your own, uh, your own expenses. Um, the, the, uh, the challenges come in this, this tension between the school year and the summer year once again. So how can we produce enough food during the summer when it's all being eaten over the winter? That's when our highest food costs are. And so one of the ways to do that would ideally be to, to preserve the food. So grow sufficiently, collect sufficiently, preserve sufficiently, and then consume that over the, the, the uh, cold season or the school season in order to actually offset the expense. And the education there is threefold, right? It's production, it's growing, it's uh, also preservation and storage. And, and that, is, uh, that is an excellent way to do it. Uh, with regard to enterprise and the tension between education and enterprise, um, as we, as I mentioned before, the enterprise. If if we want, if we suspect that uh, somebody can leave one of our institutions, having learned about agriculture at our institution, and then go out and earn a living off of it, it's a bit of a different standard than what we're talking about, where we're just offsetting our own budget costs, and and we have to acknowledge that difference. So if the goal is that somebody would actually be able to earn a living in the future, having left our institution and done what our institutions do, then our institutions need to earn a living off of that. They need to make profit. And one of the ways uh, I think this can be done is by separating them, is by simply acknowledging that the educational components, uh, once again, education takes time. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to take um, time with the students. It's not fair to rush them through uh, the subtleties of, of growing and just say, get the work done, get the work done. So how do we slow it down? If we treat the agricultural uh, aspect of our institutions as a business and we manage to get the investment in there where we can mechanize it and we can automate it, uh, automate as many steps or mechanize as many steps as possible, then we take the, 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 less, um, the less mindful work, we reduce that, and then we've freed up time such that we can take some of the work time on the vocational training aspect. You can't take it out of the academic time. That's not fair. So free up some of their work time by uh, mechanizing things and then have uh, intentional educational opportunities, basically elective classes during some of the time you freed up. Maybe that's one day a week, maybe that's two days a week, maybe that's one week, a quarter, however you want to work it into the schedule, but then have intentional classes where we're not trying to get the work done, we're not trying to uh, fix the car, we're just trying to show you how to fix the car, and uh, we're just trying to show you how to grow the carrot and how to plant the seed and how to do everything else. So it, it is possible, in, in my opinion, to separate the educational need from the enterprise need and have both. Okay, so what I'm getting so far for the 
the money aspect of challenges. We've got separating education and enterprise and really being proactive about not one or the other, but actually both at separate times. Is that a good summary? Um, then we've got also selling foods to the cafeterias, maybe a potential solution, and it has worked in some, proven beneficial. Uh, synchronization, Vicky shared that the ad agri-curriculum uses a fall and winter garden schedule, which is interesting. And I might also add, there have been schools as well. Um, I have an article, if anyone's interested, uh, maybe this can go up on the Audioverse slides as well, um, that shows there's a school who switched their agricultural calendar to accommodate for whichever crops they were growing. And their reports were very positive and on the spiritual impact it had on the students as well as the financial impact that it had on the, on the school. So it was twofold. This has happened in history. I believe that was in a middle school and academy, perhaps academy setting. I don't think it was college level. Um, we've got about seven minutes left. So I will share a little bit about um, just in terms of the industrial side of things. There's a school that's down in Belize that I visited this last June, and they have a program where they will teach them auto mechanics. And some of the students that come in actually do know some auto mechanics already, but uh, the auto mechanics teacher will show them how it's done sort of thing and then offer times that they can work, even if it's later hours or early hours, um, to help them pay their way through. So they're actually employed. And sure, it takes them a long time to get through certain repairs that they've never done before, but they get the reward afterwards and they see there's something tangible here. And so when students get that experience, then they see, yes, this is this is more than just something that we're doing because we're counseled to, we're doing it because there's actually value in it. So it is being done currently. And I think that that, can, that, that vision can be shared as well. Okay, there's another comment. Um, I just had a quick comment that I know there are schools and universities that are, aren't doing this, but they are the, the only one I'm acquainted with that I work for is Watch the Hills Academy. And they do have a class once a week, four hours um, every class, and where the students actually learn to farm. They, they learn agriculture. And, and they're not like working during that, that time. The teacher takes, go with them to the greenhouses. They learn how to see the seed. They, they, they learn the ins and outs of agriculture. And then in the afternoon, they actually go then to the farm and to different um, vocational areas where they learn different trades and different and learn how to deal with different tools. So it's not that they just go out um, and work agriculture without any training. And uh, Watch the Hills College then has a different, uh, I mean, the same, a similar uh, way to approach this as well. So there are schools that are implementing and uh, my personal experience is that there are students out there that graduate from, from this academy that actually have a very good knowledge of, of agriculture as well. Uh, just one more thing I want to add is that we need to present agriculture and other um, trades not as something that the person, the student, has to do for living, just simply as part of their knowledge bank. You know, I'm not wanting you to be a farmer. I just want you to know how to farm. And, and uh, so that's that's a big difference. That Sometimes we, we would push agriculture or any other trade or medical missionary or therapist as this is the only option for that person. But what I'm reading in Ellen White writings in the Bible is that that's just a knowledge that everyone should have regardless of, of their career.
just to follow up on the comment that Darren made about the seasons for education and farming being offset, a um, couple of the ways we work through that is we have a summer work program for students that need to do a little bit of extra, um, maybe they need to make a little bit of extra funding for their tuition. Um, so we generally have between eight and 13 students working on our farm during the summertime and that helps immensely. Mm. And um, our, our summer uh, session is very short. It's basically two months. Um, so it's kind of a short time. The bigger problem that we haven't solved yet is planting season, which happens to be right at the busiest time of the entire school year when there's plans for graduation and seniors are kind of checking out um, energy wise. And, and so we haven't figured out how to handle the planting time on time as well as we could. We need to refine that. Um, when all the crops basically ripen during harvest season and in the fall season, um, we have excess. And so one of the things we've done for that is we're in the process of more than doubling our cold storage space. Um, we sought out donations. And so we've invested already over $100,000 in expanding our cold storage space. So we um, we found out fairly quickly that the, well, the cafeteria director said, oh, I've got plenty of space. And um, we filled that with tomato sauce and applesauce right away. And then he, his eyes were open and he was inundated and he said, I, I don't have any more space. Um, and so we said, well, let's get more space. Um, and then we can utilize this throughout the year. And so um, our project's not quite done yet, but we have this, this massive brand new cooler primarily for agriculture products to be utilized by the cafeteria. Okay, we've got about two minutes left, maybe one more comment. Uh, I'm wondering if anyone has ideas for or historical examples of the ensuring qualified managers question. And also, uh, we've had some in helping the cultural view of agriculture as well. But I wouldn't neglect, it would be a miss of me to neglect the value of prayer as a solution to these problems. Because especially when it comes to shared vision, I think that the same unity that existed among the early apostles and the same unity, unity that existed in the times of the Reformation, Nehemiah, Ezra, Hezekiah, that didn't happen without prayer. And so the emphasis on prayer, I, I think would be very amiss to, to um, skip that, to omit that. And I don't think that God would bless in the same way. I'm certain he wouldn't um, had we not prayed. So if anyone has any other closing thoughts, actually, we should get into closing thoughts so we can... Um, and on time, I'll leave the floor open one last time. Darren. Now, God designed the farms at our institutions to be a blessing to the institution and to the guests and the students and so on. And even with all the challenges that we have, um, if we will focus on doing the best we can to make it a blessing, um, it's amazing how God fuels that. And it actually solves a lot of problems that you're facing. Um, labor. Uh, when, when people see the farm as a blessing, they want to get involved. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah, I think that it's very easy to, you know, listen to a panel like this where we're discussing the problems and everything and get very discouraged if you are wanting to try to implement something like that at a school. And I just would really encourage you to just step out and do whatever you can do. Get mm -hmm. started. Come to AdAgra, find people who can help you. There are a lot of people. I mean, everybody here at AdAgra, there is so much information and everybody is willing to share it. 
I mean, if you have the will, God has provided a way and will continue to provide a way. So do not be discouraged and do not let what, like Darren said, God intended to be a blessing become a burden of such magnitude that you throw in the towel and just quit because, you know, the blessing is there to be had. And, you know, for everybody's working towards the solutions to these problems. They're there. It's coming. You know, it's God's design. It's it's meant to happen, and he's going to see it through. So, All right. Our time is up. Uh, I'd like to respect people's time, but it has been a really good panel. Thank you, everyone, for coming and being part of it and sharing. Um, but uh, as I said, our time is up, so hopefully we can continue to advance in the fear of the Lord and um, good courage to all. We're going to have uh, Jeff close us off in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this conference and this time that we can just gather uh, with with other believers, folks that, that appreciate and love agriculture and see possibilities for that in education and personal development and even a career um, or maybe a lifestyle. Lord, help us to understand how you've created that to be a role in each of our lives and how we can do your work through it, how we can um, use that maybe as a basis for medical missionary work, creating healthy food. Uh, Lord, as we're dealing with uh, frustrations, perhaps, or difficulties or successes in institutional farming, I pray that you would help each of us to be completely reliant on you. Um, help us to look to you for the, the answers because you have all of the real answers. Um, and when, when there aren't any answers, you have miracles. And so, uh, we thank you for how you provided in the past, and we know and trust that you'll provide in the future. Help us to have faith. Thank you, Father, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org